Good morning, everybody. A couple of announcements for you before we get underway with our worship service. First, as a reminder, the ushers will be coming through in just a moment. If you have special requests that you would like included in Tasha's Prayers of the People a little bit later on, there are cards for that in your pews. Jot those down and they'll come forward with a basket here in just a moment. Uh, tonight is First Sunday Supper. It's the first Sunday of the month. Lucy has given me the menu. It is ham, green bean casserole, green beans. No, I'm already off. Ham and peppermint ice cream sundaes. That's the important part. I forgot the other things. Anyway, it's going to be great. Uh, if you've never been to First Sunday Supper before, of course you are welcome. This is where we serve members of our community, any members of our community who would like a nice warm meal and a place to sit for a while. Uh, if you want to come and help in any way, you are welcome to do that uh, tonight. Serving will begin about five. If you have questions about that, feel free to grab Lucy or me after the worship service. Next Sunday is a meal just for you guys. The Laotians are having their annual Christmas lunch after worship service next Sunday in the Family Center. That's always something that people look forward to. I think particularly people look forward to the egg rolls, which I assume will be there in abundance. So please mark your calendars for that after worship next Sunday, the Laotian lunch. And then finally, we don't do this very often, but it actually fell on the day. So today is Ann Smith's birthday. There she is covering her face with a bulletin right there. Happy birthday, Ann Smith. We all love you. Now, let's worship God. day is near, and so we wait. As we prepare, grant us the courage to make peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, peace in our communities. 
In this meantime, we will sing into the silence. We will light a candle against the darkness. Let us pray. Holy God of peace, give us ears to hear and hearts to trust the promises you offer to us in this season of Advent. As we worship together, we offer ourselves to you and we open ourselves to your abundant grace. Amen. God before one another, let us with boldness approach the throne of grace and confess our sins together. They are printed in your bulletin and on the screen. Gracious and loving God, we gather this day as a people who are in need of your grace. We have sinned against you and against one another because we have failed to acknowledge your Son as Lord. Instead, we have made prestige, wealth, comfort, and power our Lord. We have slavishly served these empty idols while regularly ignoring the call you have placed in our lives to love others, give freely, and live with humility. Today, grant us the wisdom and power to transform our lives anew, to set aside our old ways, and to turn to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can only do this through you. Help us, we pray. Amen. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christmas, is that while we were still deep in our sin, Christ came into the world. God sent his only Son into this world to save the world. That is what we are celebrating in this season, that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save you from your sin. And to get today, I want you to know the promise that he has forgiven you, and he calls you to a life of peace. Amen. Let's sing to his glory. <clears throat>
seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On this second Sunday of Advent, I have two scripture passages to read to you. The first comes from the prophet Isaiah. The second will come from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of, the, out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy any on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. And now Romans. For whatever reason it was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it seems to me that we human beings were designed to be together. We were supposed to be together. It's best for us to do stuff as one group, to worship together, to work together, to live in family units together, live in towns, villages, cities, and nations together, do all these things together. I think all of you would probably agree with me that we were meant to be together, right? We're meant to be together. This is how it's supposed to be, all of us together. So here's my question. If we're supposed to be together, how come we're so bad at it? right? We're not particularly good at being together. In order for us to be together, think of all the things that it takes in order for us to be together. If you've ever taught in a school, 
How many rules do you need in your classroom to keep order? A lot, because from a very early age, we are not very good at being together. And it's not like the rules go away the older that we get. In order for us to be together, we have to have a very clear structure. Things have to work. We all have to agree on how they're going to work. Otherwise, things fall apart very quickly. We know that we need to be together, but we're not very good at it. This is why, you guys, this is why it's a very good thing that we have Emily Post. Emily Post is here to help us with the structures that we need to be together. Who is Emily Post? If you're not familiar, Emily Post is the queen of etiquette, the rules of being together. If you're a very small person, if you're a little kid and you're wondering what does Emily Post have to do to do with me, anytime you put your fork or your knife next to a plate and someone says that's the wrong side, that's Emily Post. The way I was introduced to Emily Post as a relatively young man, I was 15 years old. I was at my brother's wedding in a very tall steeple church in Houston, Texas, and he was marrying into a tall steeple family, I will tell you that. The wedding coordinator, Mrs. Boatwright, was very big on Emily Post, but a disagreement had broken out between Mrs. Boatwright and the groomsmen. The disagreement was this, which direction did the pleats on the cummerbund point? That was the disagreement. The answer, if you're curious, is up so that they can catch crumbs from a meal even though no one's eating in their tuxedos at a wedding. But it was a legit disagreement, and I think the whole wedding would have fallen into chaos if not for the Emily Post trump card, which said they point up. This is how we live together. We live together by having certain, certain structures, certain rules, certain things we all agree on, ways of behavior that we all basically accept as normal. And then by conforming in ways large and small to those rules, to etiquette, to social norms, we somehow manage to gather together in a, on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday afternoon for work or in a classroom for school without murdering each other. It's a little scary that this is really all that's holding things together, but it's true. Why am I bringing this up to you this morning? Is it because I'm worried about our etiquette here at First Presbyterian Church? If you know me, you know that's not what I'm worried about because my etiquette is atrocious. But why I'm bringing this up to you this morning is because, in a weird sort of way, Paul was playing the role of Emily Post in the Roman church. Paul was trying to give them a structure for how it was they were going to get along. It's so hard for us to think about this because the church has been around for 2,000 years, but there was a time, an instant, a moment when the church hadn't been around for 200 minutes. And so they didn't know how to do anything together. How were they supposed to exist as one people? How were they supposed to follow Jesus? How were they supposed to be the body of Christ? And in the church in Rome, this was a particular problem. You heard echoes of the problem in this passage, although I'm not sure if they resonated because it's kind of detailed stuff. But here's the long and short of it. As churches began to form in the city of Rome, the most important city in the Western world in its day, as churches began to form there, two types of Christians began to develop. One group of Christians were people who had been Jewish, and they viewed Christianity as a natural extension of their Judaism. And therefore, everything that it meant to be Jewish is what it now meant to be Christian. That was one group. Another group was a group that had nothing at all to do with Judaism. They were the Gentiles. And they didn't give one lick about Deuteronomic codes or circumcision or what they should eat. But they really liked Jesus. And so they started to show up at the churches too. 
And so you have these two groups, the groups that thought Jesus was a natural extension of Judaism and the people that thought it had nothing to do with Judaism, and they were supposed to be together. They were supposed to somehow figure it out of how they could exist in one church. Because here's something that Paul knew. Paul knew at the very get-go, at the very beginning, if we started to have a bunch of different types of churches, that would be bad. We had to have one church. Now today, we have plenty. But then you had to have one. And so Paul had to figure out how to give them the language and the structures and the etiquette of how on earth they would live together. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, Phil, this is all well and good, but we are part of a perfectly harmonious church. We get along fine. What does this have to do with me? How does this relate to my life today? And I know people like it when the sermon relates to your life. So I'm going to tell you, if you want to get into the mindset of what it was like to go into a church in Rome in the first century, all you have to do is think about your upcoming holiday gathering. Lots of different people showing up with lots of different ideas about how things should go. So, because I'm your pastor and because I love and care about you, I want to help. So I went to the website for the Emily Post Institute. And I found the etiquette that you are all supposed to have when you show up as a guest for a holiday gathering and I'm going to share it with you this morning to illustrate the ways in which etiquette gives us structure. Are you ready? Are you excited? Do you have your pencils out? Because believe me, none of us do all these things. All right, here we go. First thing, arrive on time. That's something all Presbyterians can get behind. I think we do it very well. We're not going to even talk about that. But first, arrive on time. Next, Put away your cell phones. No problem, just put away your cell phones. Then, be considerate. What's that mean? According to the Emily Post Institute, it means keep your feet off of their furniture. That's what it says, be considerate, don't put your feet on furniture. Next, be complimentary. Say something nice about your host. Then, respect your host's trust. And I bet half of us do not do this because what that means is don't go through the medicine cabinets and I think almost all of us have done that before. I have never. I may be married to somebody who's done that before. <laughs> but not in any of your homes. Be a willing participant. If they say they want to play Monopoly, play Monopoly. You're a guest. Be a willing participant. This, I'm going to read the whole thing. All things in moderation. Try not to overindulge, whether it's the hors d'oeuvres or the Pinot Noir. Don't drink too much is essentially what they're saying. Offer to help where you can, and then this leads into the next one, but stay out of the kitchen unless you're invited in there. No problem for me on that one. This one, I didn't think it was very important. But there were folks at day one who had an issue with this. Don't switch the place cards. I haven't been to something with place cards in a very long time, but other people have. Don't move them. That's what Emily Post says. Give a gift, but nothing ostentatious. And then finally, and here's the tricky one, say thanks twice. So th say thanks when you leave, but then follow up your visit with a handwritten note. There, see, structure. This is how we keep things from descending into chaos. If it weren't for stuff like this, it would be Lord of the Flies everywhere we look. And we may think to ourselves, why do we need all these rules? Why do we need all this structure? But we don't get along without it. So, now that we've established its importance, now that I've prepared you for your holiday gatherings, what was the structure that Paul gave to the Romans? What was his list? How did he tell them that they should live together? It was right there in the middle 
you may not have even perceived it as it passed you by, he said this, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. How is it that we in the church live together? What is the bedrock etiquette that we have? What's the equivalent of not putting our feet on the furniture or sending a handwritten thank you note? It's welcome. It's hospitality. But in order to fully understand what Paul's saying, we have to do a little bit of theology. So I ask you a question. Whose church is this? Is it ours? It's not ours. Whose church is this? It's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' church. The church belongs to Jesus. So the minute we step inside the church, the minute we affiliate with the church, the minute we come anywhere near the church, we are, first and foremost, a guest, arriving and taking in the hospitality of our Lord. But then how does he show us that hospitality? How is it that Christ conveys a message of welcome in the church? That's where we come in. It's through one another. It's through each other. So what I'm telling you is this. This is the only place. This is the only place where we are both host and guest. We are both host and guest. We are here at the behest and the welcome of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lays out a banquet for us. And on his behalf, we make sure that everyone else, everyone else is welcome here. And here's the tricky part. Here's the tricky part. We don't have any etiquette beyond that. There's no bar that anybody has to clear here in order to be a good guest. We don't turn people away if they put their feet on the furniture. We don't turn people away if they don't send a handwritten thank you note. We don't turn people away if they don't offer to help us in the kitchen. We don't turn anybody away. Everybody. There's no condition here. There's no bar that must be cleared. There's no first level that must be met. There's no amount of money that must first be given. There's no promise that must be made. There is nothing here that must be done in order to be welcome. Because that is exactly how Christ welcomes you and me. He doesn't welcome us because we're perfect. He welcomes us in spite of the fact that we're imperfect, in spite of the fact that we're going to get almost every rule wrong over the course of our lives. Christ welcomes us. And so then we in the church, our act of hospitality is to then show the same type of welcome to everybody else. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you dot your I's and cross your T's. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Because we welcome one another on, on behalf of Jesus. There's no place else. There is no place else in the world for us to be together in that way. There's no place else where we at some point do not have to meet a certain threshold, where we do not have to write a check, where we do not have to order off the menu, where we do not have to sit down at our desks and begin work. There is no place else where we are welcome simply because we exist. This is Jesus' house. And in this house, you and I, we are both guest and we are host. And we welcome everybody who walks in those doors. Amen.
This table of bread and wine is now ready. This table is one with company with the poor, for that is who Jesus was. He was poor. This table is representing stewardship of the earth where the bread and the grapes have come from. And this table is grace for the sinner. Those who sat around this table the first night when Jesus instituted this supper and those who will come forward now, it is table for the sinner, for that is whom Jesus loves. So you are welcome to this table. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, you who have been here often and you who have not been in such a long time, this is the table of our Lord. He is the host and he invites you here. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Lord, we lift our hearts to you this day. We lift them all the way to heaven, for we want to see you and live in your glory. We pray that you would take these imperfect gifts from the earth, this bread, this cup, and make them holy. May the bread be Christ's body, may the cup be Christ's blood. We pray that you would take the imperfect gifts of our lives and make them holy. In the presence of the saints, at the meeting place of heaven and earth, move your Holy Spirit upon this table and upon us, we pray. Amen. We remember that it was on the same night when Jesus was betrayed by all who sat at the table around him. He knew of the betrayal, and yet he took bread from the table. Before their eyes, he thanked God for it. He broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after they had eaten the supper, Jesus took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents a new covenant. And this covenant is sealed with my own blood. So take, drink, and when you do, remember me. And so as often as we eat this bread, as often as we drink from this cup, we do remember our Lord's death and we celebrate that he comes again. We will come from the back rows forward. Please come down the middle aisle, take the bread and the cup and come around the upper, the outer aisles back to your seat. We will eat and drink together. Also, if you would feel more comfortable staying in your seat, we will come and bring the elements to you. Good luck getting around the tree. Would the elders please come forward?
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me, and I abide in you. Let us pray. Lord, we offer our prayers this day in gratitude for your church around the world in every time and place and also here, now. We pray that in all we do, we might live in gratitude of the welcome you have offered us that we might live out that welcome in our lives. We offer our prayers this day for a hurting world. We pray for those without power today all the way as far as Ukraine, as near as North Carolina, for all who are afraid today, confused, fearful. We offer our prayers this day for all those who grieve. In particular, we pray for Monette Parrish today on the death of David. We pray for those whose names are often on our hearts. Included today, we pray for Stacy. And we offer our prayers aloud and in the silence of our hearts for particular people and particular situations. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we give you thanks this day that you do not leave us alone. You do not walk away, but you come to us again and again, providing nourishment, replenishment, perseverance for this journey. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for your love for us and for this world. Take us from this place, we pray, renewed people, so that we may be Christ's hands and feet for all we meet. It is in your name that we offer this prayer, and together we pray as we have been taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please accept this offering of music. It is to the glory of God. Thank you. 
pray. Lord, we return this offering of worship to you. We return every gift we have received from you back to you. Our time, our talent, our energy, our gifts. We pray that you would make a holy offering of our lives. It is in your name that we offer this prayer. Amen. We have begun the tradition that when we take communion at the Lord's table, we also do not walk out of those doors without saying again who we are and what we believe. And so please join me in our affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the redness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
And now, my friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you to share Christ's peace with one another.